welcome to the Genesis Church Podcast. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Genesis Church. I want to take a moment, welcome everyone watching online, wherever you're watching from, Facebook, YouTube, our website. Make sure that you check in with our online hosts and you interact all throughout the service today. As you've come in, we are continuing our adventure this year, the never-ending story as we are walking through the stories of the Bible together. And we're really excited today because it is continuing this month as we have begun the road to Easter. Some of you came Ash Wednesday. Some of you are participating in Lent. We're looking forward to Palm Sunday, Holy Week, Good Friday, and then that Sunday when we will declare Easter is here, and we will celebrate that with everything that we got. It's going to be awesome. And so this morning, we have something just kind of uniquely special to me, and that is the fact that you guys get to hear from my brother for the very first time here at Genesis Church. So it... uh. It's taken 13 years to make this happen, and people wonder how. Well, when you have a dad who's a pastor and a brother's a pastor and you're a pastor, never do your church calendars ever sync up together. And so we have enough hard time just getting together to see each other, let alone being at each other's churches. So he's been here a few times. I've been to his, but he's never been here to speak because usually when he's here, he's on vacation. I'm like, look, you don't need to preach another time when you're on vacation. But we brought him in specifically for this. Here's the deal. I'm the prettier one. I'm the older one. And at the end of the service, I, you're not allowed to say, like, he looks like you, he talks like you, like all that stuff, okay? We're just going to get through all that stuff. But would you welcome to the stage my brother, Tad Grandstaff. Well, what's up, Genesis Church? How we doing today? We doing good? Man, I'm so excited to be here with you. I hail from Burlington, North Carolina. So I got a little bit of a southern accent today, but I just want to let you know, I am so honored and privileged to be with you here at Genesis Church. Um, Man, I consider it a great honor to be with you. I don't know if you realize what God's doing here. Um, I know you probably get a chance to hear about it from some other people, but I am a student of the game. I've been in ministry a really long time, as Tim has, and what God is doing in this place is not normal. Uh, I started a church in 2007, and the average church in America was 70 people. I want you to think about that for just a moment. With 70 people. The average church in America today is less than 45. So I want you to think about that for just a second. So what God is doing here is not normal. So can we just give God a huge round of applause for what he's doing in this place? I don't say that because Tim's my brother. I don't say that because of his family, because I love them. I just say it's true. To have the conversations about running out of space, needing more seats, having to move Easter to another location... You guys are part of a move of God, and it is just a great privilege to be part of what God is doing here. And so again, I'm honored. I'm honored to be with you today, honored to share with you. I don't think it's by chance that we're here today talking about some brothers today um, in, in, our, in our story, the never-ending story. Um, I got plenty of stories I can tell you today. I don't want to waste all of our time. Um, first of all, we know that I'm taller than Tim. Let's just get that out of the way, right? So I'm taller than Tim, and we all know that I'm in better looking, so he's got some inferior complexes to that as well. But uh, man, I, again... Chad was talking last week just about all of his illustrations. He's been teaching on Cain and Abel, teaching on Jacob and Esau, and he said, I've used Tim and Tad as all of my illustrations because, man, we were two years apart, and we fought like crazy. Anybody here got some siblings or you got some kids that are just like two years apart that are super competitive? And so, again, not by chance I'm here today talking about the younger brother, Jacob, because I was always the younger brother, 
always infringing on Tim's territory, right? And so, man, we used to go out. Anybody here used to fight pretty hard with your brother and sister, right? I can remember one Sunday night we were heading to church. Uh, Tim was a senior in high school. I was a sophomore. And I had a pretty good mouth on me, right? And so we would get going a little bit, and, and Tim said something to me, and I smarted off. And I'm in the passenger seat, and he's driving. This is really safe. And he leans over, and he just pops me in the face, right? And so we're heading to church, right? Getting out, we're heading to church. And so next thing I know, we are just literally throwing blows. I mean, he's driving down the road. We're like a couple hundred yards from the church. We are just throwing down in the car. So finally, you know, your siblings, a little bit like we, we have to pull over. We have so many marks and bruises and bumps on our face that we make a collective decision. We're not going to church tonight because it is obvious we've been in a brawl tonight. And I don't know if I can tell the rest of this story. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. So we decided to go back home. So, so we decided, do you remember this? We decided to go back home. And my parents don't know we're coming home. And my dad was in ministry. He's going to kill me. My parents are probably watching this live right now. And so we pull up to the house. We walk down the sidewalk. And we can hear boys to men blaring from outside our house. So my parents got a free moment. They're home with no kids. And you can just do the rest of the math, what was taking place inside the house. So we quickly went from enemies to a band of brothers who sprinted back to the car. And we disappeared for a little while. And my parents, I'm telling you, they're going to they're gonna die when they hear that story. But um, anyways, man. I'm just glad to be here. Uh, I've known Chad since I was probably five years old. Uh, we played t-ball together. We grew up together. Chad was like the, the other brother, and so he was uh, in the middle of, of me and Tim uh, in school, and so we got so many stories. I will, let me just say this. It, it blows my mind that I'm here today. It blows my mind that these guys are here today. I can promise you if you could go back to our high school, nobody was picking us three to be pastors. I, I can promise you that today. And... Um, I think we are all living examples of God's transformation, and I think if it's true today, many of us here today are living examples of the transformation of God. We are all living proof. Why don't you turn to somebody right now and say, you're living proof. You're living proof of the transformation of God, right? And so I think we all love transformation. I think we love stories of transformation. I think as a society and culture, we are kind of addicted to movies and books and TV shows about transformation. We, we love seeing people be transformed. We love bragging and sharing about our transformation. And again, it's one of the reasons why we love social media, right? Because we love to show people the transformation in our lives, transformation in our kids' lives, transformation in our business, or our finances, or whatever we possess, right? And sometimes we love to get on social media so we can compare our great transformation with everybody's lack of transformation, right? You ever done this before? You ever scroll through social media and been very thankful that you didn't end up with a certain him or her from high school or college? Anybody else ever had that moment? Like, thank you, Jesus. I did not end up with him or her, right? And so we love this idea of transformation. I think we do. And what I want to show you today is I believe in our story today, we have an incredible story of transformation. Because I believe we serve a God today who is in the business of transforming lives. I don't know what you brought in here with you today. I don't know what you tune in line with today. I don't know what your baggage is. I don't know your story. But I can tell you your story is probably similar to everybody else's story. We all got some stuff. We all got some things. We've all walked through life. We've experienced some stuff. We got some scars. We got some wounds. We got some shame. We got some guilt. And I think many of us today, maybe if we don't even know how to put into words, we are hungry for transformation. We don't want to stay stuck where we are. We don't want to walk around the rest of our lives licking our wounds and trying to heal from things of our past. We want to be transformed, and I'm here to tell you today that we serve a God today who is very much in the transformation business. 
He can take whatever you've dealt with, whatever you've experienced, whatever you've gone through, however great it is, and he can write a story out of it that you never thought possible. That's the God that we serve today. Let me give you a little recap today of our story. Chad opened us up last week talking about Jacob and Esau. Again, Jacob, the younger brother. And again, you got to imagine this culture in this day. You're born into a family with an older brother, and the older brother just by birth is the special one, right? He's the chosen one. All the blessing, all the birthright is given over to him, and you're just kind of that younger brother trying to find your identity, trying to figure out who you are, realizing that you'll never have the blessing of your brother. And so what did we discover last week? Jacob deceives his father, and he steals the birthright blessing that was due to his brother. But what we discovered last week is that even though Jacob was a liar and a deceiver, God still chose to bless Jacob, which blows my mind, right? That's our story, right? We've all been deceivers and liars as well. We've deceived others. We've lied from life. We've done all these things. And yet God, even in all the flaws of Jacob, God was still faithful. How many of us know even when we are faithless, God is still faithful? Even when we don't have it all together, we serve a God today who does, right? And so we see God continue to bless Jacob, even though Jacob doesn't deserve to be blessed, and none of us do as well. And so Jacob gets this blessing of God, one that he doesn't deserve, but God gives to him. Steals it from his brother Esau, and obviously his brother Esau is very upset with him. And so we discover that Jacob is running for his life. And again, I get this, right? As the younger brother, I can remember many times running for my life from my brother and his friends. I remember one weekend, my parents were out of town, and my my brother had two friends come over, uh, Jason and Aaron. And they used to just come in the house, and for no reason, they would just beat the tar out of me. So they would come in the house. They'd all drag me in the living room. They'd beat me up. And so this was a regular occurrence in our house. And so they were watching a movie. And while they were watching the movie, I snuck out the back door. And I saw Aaron had his window cracked in his Chevy Trailblazer. So I went and got the garden hose. And I cut it on. And I stuffed it in the window of his Chevy Trailblazer. And I just let it run the whole time they were watching a movie. And just let it run. And so you can imagine the moment when Aaron went out to leave for the night. Opened up the car door. And his car was flooded. So he come running in the house, and I literally ran out the back door. This is the middle of the night, and I'm running through the woods in the middle of the night, running for my life, terrified that Aaron and Jason and Tim were going to catch me and kill me, right? And so this was pretty much the story of our life. And so what we see, we see that Jacob runs away from his brother, and he flees east. He flees east. Now, we take note in the scriptures as we're walking through the story of the Bible that we see that anytime somebody was fleeing east, they were running away from the things of God. We see God's people always running eastward away from God. So when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and they were dismissed from the garden, they were sent out east of the Garden of Eden. We see that when God's people, the chosen people, the Israelites, were turning their back on God, they fled east to Babylon. We see that they headed east towards Sodom and Gomorrah. So we see Jacob is in this position once again where he is fleeing eastward. He's running away from what God wants for his life. God still has a calling on his life. God still has something he wants to do, but he's running away from God. So what happens? As Jacob is heading east, he meets his future wife, Rachel, and he falls in love with her, and he wants to marry her. So he goes to her father, Laban, and he says, I want to have her hand in marriage. And so Laban says, hey, I got a good deal for you. You can have my, my daughter, Rachel, but you're going to have to work for me for seven years. So for seven years, he works for his father. And in this Jewish culture, what they would do is on the wedding ceremony, the bride would wear a veil, and she would not expose her face to you until it was time to consummate the marriage. And so what happens is the deceiver gets deceived. 
So he has worked for Laban for seven years. When they go in to consummate the marriage, he pulls back the veil and realizes it's not Rachel, but it's actually his daughter Leah. And he's like, hold on a minute. I did not sign up to marry her. I want Rachel. So he goes back to Laban and says, Laban, I want Rachel. And he says, okay, work another seven years and you can have Rachel as well. And so for 14 years, he finds himself working for Laban to have this woman, Rachel, he wants to marry. Now, remember the blessing that God had promised Jacob's grandfather, Abraham. Y'all talked about this. The blessing that God would bless through his lineage. He would birth a nation out of him, and God's people would be blessed. They would have a land that was their own, that was overflowing with milk and honey. They would have all these amazing things, right? Well, God has still made that promise come true over his life. So over Jacob's life, God has given him tremendous wealth. God has given him a family, but the only thing Jacob lacks is the land that God had promised to his grandfather. And so God says, Jacob, I need you to go back. But in order to go back, Jacob is going to have to face Esau. So he's terrified. So what he does is he sends an envoy ahead with some gifts, trying to win over his brother because he's thinking, man, I don't want to be in Esau's bad favor. I don't know what's going to happen. And as he stays back, He's going to have this moment where he's going to have an interaction with an interesting man. If you have a Bible today, I want you to go ahead and get to Genesis chapter 32. If you have a Bible with us, I'm going to walk through some of this. We'll unpack it together. If you don't have a Bible, we'll put it all on the screens for you today. And it says this. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched. As he wrestled with this man. I want you just to hold on to this. We'll come back to it. In verse 26, it says, Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you bless me. Hold on to that as well. We're going to come back to that as well. So Jacob grabs a hold of God. He says, I'm not going to let go of you unless you bless me. Isn't Jacob already blessed? Just hold on to that for just a moment. And so we see Jacob is having this altercation, this interaction with this unusual person. We believe this person to be God, and we'll discover that here in just a few moments. Now, we don't know if this was an actual physical altercation. Some people believe it was just him wrestling spiritually or wrestling with God in prayer. But no matter what, we see him in this altercation with God. In verse 27, it says, the man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. That's a very important question, isn't it? What is your name? Another way you could ask that question is, who are you? Do you think this man of God didn't know who Jacob was? Do you think he was struggling like, I don't know who I'm wrestling with? But see, in this day, in this culture, names meant something. Anybody knows what Jacob's name meant? Anybody know? It meant deceiver and liar, right? So when he asked this question, he's asking a very pointed question. He's saying, Jacob, who are you? Well, I'm a liar and a deceiver. Jacob, who are you? You see, he's trying to get to the heart of the matter. He's trying to say, I want to know who you really are. I want you to say out loud the person that you really are at your core, right? What do we see? Jacob is living down to his name. His name means liar and deceiver, and he's been lying and deceiving his entire life. Jacob's name also means heel grabber or heel grasper. It tells us that in the womb, Jacob and Esau twins, as 
Esau was exiting the room. It says that Jacob literally was grabbing at the heel, clutching at the heel of his brother, grabbing a hold. He was trying to beat him out. So we see Jacob has been wrestling his entire life. He's been fighting his entire life. He's been trying to make a name for himself. We see this right now. A very relevant illustration is like William and Harry, right? You see that happening in our culture, right? William giving the birthright, be the next king, right? And you see Harry is struggling because he doesn't really know who he is. Who am I? I'm in the shadow of my brother. And so you see probably from birth, he has been fighting to make a name for himself, fighting to make himself known. Is he reacting the right way? No, because he just doesn't know who he is. And so we see God getting to the heart of the matter, wanting to know, who are you? I think if God really pressed into us today and really asked us who we really are at our core, it would expose a lot about us, wouldn't it? I think if we could be honest our, our, ourselves, not only have many of us been liars and deceivers in life, but we've also been graspers, much like Jacob. I would tell you that we all grasp for something. Everybody here is grasping at something or someone. We grasp for status. We grasp for clout. We, we, we grasp for success in relationships. We're, we're all grasping for something. We all want to be known in a certain way, and so we're all looking for something. See, Jacob has this me-first mentality. You think we live in a me-first culture? This culture that's all about me, 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 I, I, I. I want to be first. I want to be the best. I want to be the most known. And if we're honest, if we're honest today, we don't always take pride in a particular possession we have. We just take pride in having more of that possession than someone else, don't we? And then what we do. We're no different, right? So we're all struggling and straining in a culture that says more and more and more will make you happier, more and more will will make you more successful. And yet we have all of these things and many of us are still lacking. Who am I really? You know what polled people say what they really want someone to know about them is people say, I really wish there was someone in my life who really knew who I was, who knew the true me. See, we're terrified for people to know who we really are. We're, We're terrified for people to peel back the layers to peel back the filters and to see us for who we really are. So we put on a facade and we fight and we wrestle and we struggle and we strain to try to be something that we're not. And what happens is we spend our entire lives grasping at things like security and status. But in the process of grabbing stuff, we ultimately risk losing ourselves. Like Jacob, some of us today have been living down to our names. We've been living down to our reputations. Some of us, we have a name on us. And maybe it's not a physical name of identity, but we have these psychological names we put on ourselves. Like maybe you grew up in a home and there's an addiction in your home, and maybe that addiction is something that's been passed down generationally, and so the name you put on yourself is I'll always be whatever that addiction is. Maybe you've got the scarlet letter on your chest. Maybe at some point in your life, you blew up a marriage or a relationship with the, the big scarlet letter. Maybe you, you carry the D on, on your chest because you walked through a divorce. And so you've walked your entire journey saying, I'll always be this. I'll never get over that. I'll always be identified by where I've been and what I've done and what I've experienced or what somebody else did to me. I'll always be identified by my sin or my past or my scars or my wounds. I'll always have this thing on me. So this is what happens with Jacob. His identity has been shaped by his name, and he's been living into that. He's been allowing himself to be defined by this life that he's lived. And so he's been struggling and grasping. 
And God asks him, who are you? He says, I'm Jacob. I'm the heel grabber. Who are you? I'm Jacob the deceiver. Who are you? I'm Jacob the liar. I'm Jacob the stealer. I'm Jacob the, the thief. God was trying to get Jacob to admit who he really was. Why? Why is that so important? Why is that so necessary? If you want to take some notes with us today, I'd encourage you to write this down. Because Jacob's name reflected his past. Jacob's name had reflected where he had been. Jacob's name had reflected who he was prior to this encounter with God. All the way up to this point, Jacob's name had a meaning. He's a liar and deceiver, and he's lived into that name. But now he's had an encounter with God. And in this encounter with God, God desires to transform him, to do something new in his life. This was God's way of confronting Jacob at his point of sin. God was trying to get Jacob to focus on who he had been. God was getting him to wrestle with his past. God could not change Jacob until he first came to grips with who he really was. And see, I believe that's true for us today as well. God desires to change you, but he cannot change you until you and I get honest about who we really are, until we get honest about where we've been and what we've done. God does not get us honest about ourselves to shame us because that's not a tactic from God. But God says, I just need you to be real about your condition. I need you to be real about your sin. I need you to stop playing games and putting on filters, and I just need you to out loud to me, tell me who you are. Because at that place, I can work with that. God doesn't strip us down so he can shame and guilt us. God has a way of stripping us down so that in humility we can see him for who he is. I will never have a great need for Jesus if I don't see myself for who I really am. Man, I'm a sinner. That's not a surprise to anybody today, right? Like, did you show up to Genesis Church today surprised that you're a sinner? Are, are you surprised? Like, nobody's surprised by that. I'm a sinner, right? I don't deserve anything that God has given me. I don't deserve the grace of God at all. But if I don't see myself for the sinner that I am, then I never see Jesus for the Savior that he is. So, Jesus, I need your rescue. Jesus, I need you. I'm not going to stay here. I don't need to stay in a place where I'm down. I need to stay in a, in a humble position. I always stay in humility, but I'm not here walking around today. The, the, the grace and gospel of Jesus is not so that you and I can walk around beat down, but it's also so we don't think too high of ourselves. It keeps us in a posture of humility, reminding us who he really is and why we ultimately need him. Jacob is wrestling with God, and he's a fighter. And after some time of wrestling with God, God's like, this dude ain't giving up. He's stubborn. We got any strong-willed, stubborn people here today? <laughs> Anybody? I got four kids. They're, they're 14, 12, 10, and 8. The boys are on the end. I don't have a Jacob and Esau, but I got a Lula and a Maisie in the middle. They're my two girls, two years apart, and they fight like crazy. And my youngest daughter, Lula, she is the most strong-willed, stubborn child you will ever meet in your life. She was an infant, and I was preaching at a church down in Wilmington one year, Wilmington, North Carolina, and she was just one of these kids, like, she would throw a fit, and she would decide something, and you cannot break her will. And so we had already said, hey, we, we, we already have had lunch, and we're not going to have a snack till we get back from the beach. And we got down to the beach, and got it all set up, and within moments, she's like, I want a snack. And we're like, we told you we're not having a snack. And she's like, no, I want a snack. You know what I'm saying? And we're like, no, you're not, you're not going to have a snack. And so she just dug in her heels, and she wasn't going to move. And so I picked her up. And in my arms, and she fought me, and I walked, I walked literally probably a mile to the point. And that little girl fought me, and just, I didn't, I, I, I just had her in my arms. 
And she just wrestled and fought and fought, and she clawed my neck all down. I was bleeding all down my neck. And we got to the point, and finally we got to the point, and she just broke. And she started doing that little, you know how you couldn't, like, she cried so hard she couldn't stop. And I brought her back and just set her down. And, and literally, I just, all the way back, I was just telling her how much I loved her and just kind of speaking truth into her life. But it was just that will, right, that stubbornness. It says, I'm just not going to break, right? And I think some of us, we got that will. We are stubborn people. So what does God do? God wrenches Jacob's hip. That's the largest joint in the human body. Can you imagine for a moment dislocating your hip, just how painful that would be? And so you ask yourself in this, more, in this moment, would God cause pain in Jacob's life? Would God allow that to happen? Would God bring pain on someone that he loves? Maybe, if it's necessary. I wonder how many of us today are wrestling with God. I wonder how many of us today are wrestling with our past, or wrestling to find ourselves, wrestling between who we are and who we want to be. And God's trying to move you forward, but you're fighting. Some of us have dug in our heels, and we are perfectly content with where we are. We're not really content, but we're comfortable with where we are. Because isn't it true that we get comfortable in our misery? We get comfortable in our pain? And the, the fear of stepping out, the fear of God doing something more, sometimes it terrifies us, doesn't it? It scares us to death. And God said, man, I got something for you, but you got to let go. I got something for you, but you got to just trust me. See, I've discovered sometimes that God will have to chip you down in order for him to build you up. You ever discovered this before? Sometimes he'll have to make you limp before you can ever really hit your stride in him. Sometimes God has to allow things in our life not to hurt us, but ultimately because he wants to heal us. So what do we learn? We learn to find our hope in the hurt. Jacob would walk with a limp, which served as a reminder of who God was. God said, this is the point that I'm gonna have to break you. This is the point that I'm gonna have to bring you down. This is the point where I'm about to strip you of what you think about yourself so I can do a new work in your life. And so the limp, the limp reminded him of how faithful God had been in his life, reminded him of what God was capable of doing in his life. See, I believe the best parents, the best spouses, the best followers of Jesus lead with a limp because we are people who have been broken before God. I don't mean we're sitting here in a ditch somewhere broken that we can never recover from. I mean, God's broken us of who we are. God's broken us of our selfish pride. God has broken us of maybe the greatest sin of all of believing that we can do life without God. Because the greatest sin that we often struggle with is believing that we are God and he isn't. And so we manage our lives and our marriages and our homes and our businesses and our finances like we are building our own kingdoms and our own empires. And sometimes God's got to wound you. He's got to let a business fail, a relationship fail. It takes them away from you. Because he's got to remind you who's in charge, who sits on the throne, and who has the ultimate authority of our life. Can I be honest with you? As a pastor, as a, as a father, as a husband, I can tell you some painful stories of some necessary moments of my life of God maybe needing to strip me down of some things. Some things that maybe I didn't see at the time. I've gone through some painful seasons of God just stripping me down but I look back at all those things as hard as every one of them have been, and I say they were all necessary pains for God to be able to get me to a place to do the work that God ultimately wanted to do in my life. 
A.W. Tozer said this. He says, it's doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. Think about that for just a moment. It's doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. Sometimes hurt and pains are necessary. God allows them to reveal to us our need for him, and sometimes the hurt and pains come from getting an accurate reflection of ourselves. God has a way of breaking you down. But breaking you down often can cause some pain, but pain is really going to push you one of two ways. Pain's either going to push you further away from God, or pain's going to push you closer to God. And what we discover is in our pain, when we allow God to move us in close, you never find the the, the, the iron fist of a God who just wants to beat you down. What you always find is the graceful, grace-filled, loving arms of a father who brings you in and embraces you so that he can build you back up. Some of you today, God's going to try to break you down today, but it's not because God is evil or cruel. It's because he really wants you to experience him for who he is and experience his grace in a way that maybe you could have never experienced before. God desired to move his plans forward in Jacob's life, but before that could happen, God needed to break him break him free of his past, break him free from the things that he'd been holding on to, the things he had been running from. Jacob's still wrestling with God, and he's got a hold of him, and he isn't letting go. When you can see the desperation in Jacob's life to be blessed, he says, I'm not letting go of you until you bless me. See, Jacob stole the first blessing, and God still honored it, but he doesn't feel blessed by God. Anybody here today would call themselves blessed, you're blessed in a marriage, blessed with your kids, blessed in finances, blessed in business, blessed with your home, blessed in life, and yet you still don't feel blessed. I wonder how many of us got more blessings than we could even count, but we don't feel blessed. So what happens so often is the blessings that we have, we've tried to earn on our own, and they don't feel like blessings. And what we're longing for is, I just want God to bless me. I just want God to do a work in my life. Some of you need to come to that place today, a place of desperation. Maybe you came in here today. Maybe you've tuned in line today, and you're desperate. Maybe you need to get to that place like Jacob. You say, I'm not letting go of you today, God, until you bless me. God, I'm not moving from this place until you transform my life. Jacob's been running, and he's come to this place where he's not letting go. Sometimes our hurts bring us to a place of complete dependence on God to do something in our lives that he could not have done if we have not walked that journey to begin with. And when he does, it changes our perspective of him forever. The great author and pastor Tim Keller said this. He says, it often takes an experience of crippling weakness for us to finally discover God's blessing. That is why so many of the most God-blessed people limp as they dance for joy. I love that. Verse 28, it says this. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Jacob, I guess in this moment, is wondering who he wrestles with, but we get the understanding that Jacob realizes who it is because he says, then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel saying, it is because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. Spared. This is an important moment in Jacob's life. His name is changed from Jacob to Israel. See, in our culture, we often pick names because they're popular. 
Uh, I looked it up this week. The, the, the top two names in our culture for the last three years for a boy and girl, a girl is Olivia, boy is Liam. And I went to Legoland yesterday with my youngest son. He traveled down here with me, and we were sitting in the lobby, and I heard multiple Liams and multiple Olivias, and so I know it to be true, right? But in this culture, in this day, a name meant something. A name was your identity. A name was picked very specifically. It had value and worth and meaning. We didn't just pick names for random reasons. In this culture, in this day, it was for a specific purpose. Therefore, being renamed indicated a change in character. It was an indication of a new start, a new beginning, a new chapter, a fresh journey. You can write this down. Jacob's new name reflected God's grace. His old name reflected his past, but his new name reflected God's grace. The deceiver went from the one who was the heel grabber and deceiver to the one who wrestled with God in triumph. Do you think that means that Jacob beat God in the wrestling match? No, he was triumphant because God in his grace allowed him the opportunity to wrestle with him and to come out on the other side. And through the process, God showed him his unbelievable grace. God does an amazing work in Jacob's life. In fact, as you go on to read throughout the rest of this story, Jacob is no longer the man that we read about early in Scripture. God totally transforms his life. As he goes on the journey to go meet his brother Esau, God gives him favor, right? You can go read about it. It's an amazing story of reconciliation and redemption and restoration that only God could bring, right? But if you read on through this story, it's amazing, right? The one that was once the deceiver and liar who stole this blessing, this man would have 12 sons. You're going to read about one of his sons here in the next few weeks. And through that son would have a son who 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 would have a son and would ultimately lead to Jesus, I want you to just see this for just a moment. So a man whose journey started as a deceiver and liar would ultimately still be the man that God would bless the world through and ultimately give us Jesus through, who would bless the entire world. Only God can write a story of redemption like that. So I don't know what today is, what your story is. I don't know what it is. I don't know what you brought in here. I don't know what you're carrying around today, but I know we serve a God today that can redeem and reconcile anything in your life that you've been holding on to. Maybe today he's not going to give you a new name, but maybe you're here today and you've been lost in this life. You've been lost and struggling. You've been trying to find purpose and meaning and value and worth and all these things in life. And maybe today he can change your name from someone who's being lost to being found. Maybe you came in here today and you're hurting. Maybe you're hurting, and you got a wound that's deep, deeper than I can imagine, deeper than I can even begin to fathom. And maybe today, he can change that from hurting to healed. I, I don't know what it is. Maybe you came in here today, and you're, and you're covered in sin, and you feel like God could never love you. And in his grace-filled arms today, he just wrap around you and just say, you're forgiven. I don't know what it is for you today. But I believe that God's got a story he wants to write out of your life one that you never imagined. Maybe you haven't been the husband or the father or the spouse or just the follower of Jesus that God's called you to be. Maybe you believe that you never could be. I believe that God could today. If you could grab a hold of him today, I promise he will grab a hold of you and he will do a work in your life that you never thought possible. So I don't know what you're carrying around today. I don't know what your story's been, but I pray that you would just give it to him today. I know this today. If we put our faith and trust in Jesus, he is faithful and just 
to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We are in the business today. We believe today very much in the healing power, the transformation power of Jesus Christ. And I may not be given a new name today, but I am given a new identity. I get to call myself a Christian today because I associate myself with Jesus Christ. And so I get a new identity in him. And I can tell the world I belong to him. And I'm no longer defined by who I was and where I've been because of Jesus today. I have a story worth telling. And that's your story today as well. So my prayer for you today. My prayer to you is that you would encounter God in a way today that maybe you never have before. Maybe some of you have been wrestling. Maybe some of you have dug in your heels. I pray you stop fighting. Stop putting in all the reasons why God can't and why I won't and, and why he shouldn't. And all these things that you put in, in front of yourself to disqualify yourself, God doesn't disqualify you. God isn't called off guard by your sin. In fact, because of your sin and somebody else's sin, it's exactly why he sent Jesus. So just receive him today. Receive his grace today, his forgiveness today, his love today. I want to pray for you today. I want to pray that you allow God to write a story in your life. Maybe you didn't come here today believing that God could write that story, but maybe this is just your redemption moment, maybe a restoration moment. God, I pray for every person today, every person who hears this message. God, I pray that we'd be people today who would see ourselves for who we are. Not so we could be beat down today. Not so we can leave here with our heads down, seeing ourselves as some dirty, awful sinners. God, we are your children. We belong to you. God, you are not caught off guard by anything we've ever gone through, anything that's ever been done to us. God, the very fact that we've walked this road is why you sent Jesus on a rescue mission to rescue us from ourselves, to rescue us from our sin. And if we can put our faith and trust in you today, Jesus, you promise you promise today you will begin a new, fresh start in our life. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says that anyone who is in Christ Jesus is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. We invite the new today. God, we, we ask you to write a new story with our lives today. Maybe we've gone through some stuff today. Maybe we've bowed through some stuff and it hasn't made sense. God, we believe in all of it. God, it's just been your beautiful story you've been writing, a story of redemption. God, it's only you can take all the broken, shattered pieces and turn them into a story worth telling. God, use us today. Restore us today. Heal us today. Set us free. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.